Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join the conversation. Join the conversation. You're with Cape Talk. It is 24 minutes to 10. Good morning and welcome to today right here on 567 Medium Wave Cape Talk. And as always, it's always great because we know it's a Friday. We've got Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist. And a very good morning to you, Doc. Yeah, really good morning to you too. How are you doing? Always good. It's a Friday, right? So we have you on. So we're happy about these things. Well, it's always um, the weekend tomorrow too, which also makes a big difference. That's <laughs> probably the bigger part of the equation, isn't it? <laughs> well, exactly. Let's go to Jenny and Ops. Jenny, good morning. Hi, morning, Kina. Morning, Chris. Hi, um, Jenny. I have a question which has been bothering me for a little bit. Uh, in the freezing cold, for us at the moment, it's freezing cold. There's snow about three, four hours drive away from Cape Town. How is it that a warm-blooded little animal like a bird, well, bird, animal, whatever, mm. with thin little legs? I have a little Cape white eyes. Go and look what they're the most amazing little birds. Cape white eyes and little sparrows that I give. I put apples out for the white eyes and I put seeds out for the sparrows. And no matter what, how do they, number one, they don't get cold. And they're always happy. They're always chirping. I mean, that can be as miserable as anything. We're all sitting in bed with hot water bottles and fleece blankets. And the little birds keep going with their thin legs and their little thin skins. How does that work? Right. Well, first and foremost, Jenny, they they have a very high metabolic rate. And what that means is they're burning a lot of calories, A, to fly, because flying is incredibly energy demanding, but also just to keep themselves warm. They're very well insulated because they have feathers. And the other trick that they use is what's called countercurrent circulation. Because you might say, if I stood on my tiny, thin, spindly legs like that on a cold surface, I would get very cold feet. Why don't the birds suffer? They have a very clever arrangement of the blood vessels in their legs. So they pump warm blood from their arteries down their legs. And the arteries are very closely wound around the veins that are bringing cold blood back from the feet. And this Uh means that at all stages of the blood journey, it is transferring heat from the warmest bits to the coldest bits. So in other words, the warm blood gives some of its heat to the cold blood that's coming back up the leg. And as you go further down the leg, the arteries have got colder and colder blood in them. So actually, by the time you're at the bottom of the leg where the heat loss is going to be greatest on the toes, actually the blood is at about ambient temperature there or as cool as it's going to get. So they're minimizing the rate at which they lose heat through their feet. So it's quite a clever adaptation to mean that they return to their body almost all the heat. They waste very little they, and they comp- compensate for what they do le- lose with a very high metabolic rate, which is what they need to fly anyway. Wow, thank you so much. Brilliant, thank Jenny. Thank you so much. Lovely question. That is Jenny and Observatory. And you too can pick up the phone, give us a call on 21 0567 and WhatsApp and 072-567-1567 as we chat to the naked scientist, Dr. Chris Smith. Now, our message has come through via WhatsApp, Chris. Uh, please, Kino, I have stage fright. Mwah, don't worry about it. Uh, but COVID-2, 
My husband's on a ventilator. So, doctor, please tell me how long can one remain on a ventilator and uh, what are the, you know, what percentage of people recover? Well, I mean, I would imagine it depends on the state of the person. But, uh, Chris? Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear about what's happened to your husband. And, and I hope everything's going to work out. The answer is that a ventilator is a very good way of getting oxygen into the bloodstream. And we put people on ventilators when their own lungs can't do the job adequately. Because if you don't do this, then lack of oxygen will damage not just the lungs, but every tissue in your body, especially things like your kidneys and your nervous system. So you absolutely need to keep a good supply of oxygen because the oxygen is going to keep the rest of the body healthy and a healthy body is what is going to heal the unhealthy bits of the body. Now, as long as a person remains stable, then there's no reason why the ventilator wouldn't continue to work. The problem comes with actually weaning people off of the ventilator. Unfortunately, because lungs did not evolve to be ventilated, the mere act of pushing air into them under pressure, especially when they've been injured by infection, and injured by inflammation caused by the immune response, often to infection, but sometimes also just because of being ventilated. This can lead to some changes in the lung tissue, which can include swelling and thickening of the membranes in the lungs, which can reduce the efficiency of lung function. And this can be sufficient to mean that sometimes it is very, very difficult to get people's lungs back to a stage where they can work well enough on their own. So it can be a really long journey. That said, people do make it. And we have a number of people who succumbed to coronavirus infection here in the UK. They ended up on ventilators for quite a few weeks, but many of them are now going home. So it, it is a stormy time. It can be uncertain. There can be, in some cases, the outcome we don't want, but often there isn't. And if a person's made it to ITU and they've been stabilized and ventilated, then they'll be doing their best to try and help that person's lung tissue to recover to a stage where they can then function and breathe independently. So one shouldn't give up hope. It can take time. Chris, thank you for that. And thank you very much for asking that question. Chris, we've spoken to our head of health um, in, in, in the Western Cape, and he said what they've decided to do was not put people on ventilators initially. What they now do is they give fast-flowing oxygen and have people lie down on their tummies, and they find that to be very effective. I'm still trying to get my head around that. Um, I mean, what is the, what's the key difference between the two, and how does the fast flow of oxygen actually work when sort of juxtaposed to um, what a ventilator would do? We only use ventilators as something of a last resort. So the first thing you would do is to just give people more oxygen okay. because you can overcome some of the difficulties with breathing by increasing the concentration of oxygen a person breathes in because if you've got more oxygen in your lungs close to where the blood is the oxygen at higher concentration will have a higher likelihood of finding its way into the bloodstream than oxygen at lower concentration so the first step you do is always to just try increasing the oxygen supply to a person because in some cases that will be enough if that's not enough sometimes the next step that gets taken is to give people a mask that fits tightly over the nose and mouth and it can blow air in under pressure when the person breathes naturally but it increases the pressure of the air you're breathing in with some extra oxygen in it but because you're maintaining a higher pressure in the airway than normally would be maintained 
it can keep more of the end airways, which are the really tiny air passages where most of the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide occurs, open for longer. Because normally when you breathe out, high pressures pushing the air out would squeeze some of those airways shut, especially if they've been inflamed or injured. And sometimes that's enough. Now, if that doesn't work, the next stages are that you have to ventilate somebody. And that means putting them to sleep, switching off their muscles with paralyzing drugs, and then using a machine to run the respiratory rate and rhythm for them. So it blows air in and then turns the pressure off and the air is drawn out and you do this rhythmically. Wow. Now, the problem with doing that is it's not good for your lungs in the long term to do this to them because they have not evolved to be inflated and deflated like balloons. That is not how lungs have evolved to work. And this can cause injury to lungs. So we try to avoid doing that. And because you end up in a situation where people then have damage to their lungs caused by the disease and then damage compounded by being on a ventilator. So we're trying not to, to go down that road if possible and to control what is sure. causing the lung damage, which is usually inflammation caused by your own immune system. So that's what people are actively exploring to try to control coronavirus now. Great. You're listening to Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, and this is 567 Medium Wave Cape Talk. The show is called Today. Let's go to some of the voice notes that you've sent through. Hey, Kino, my question for Chris is this. How do you know everything? I'm so amazed. <laughs> I'm like, it's so impressed. Well done, bro. You're a champion. <laughs> and have you studied your own brain, Chris? Actually, um, I have studied my own brain, you know, because oh. when I was at university, I, I went to medical school and I got so interested in how the nervous system worked. I went to a different university and did an extra degree in neuroscience because I was so fascinated. And when I was there, I volunteered for someone's research study just because they said I could have an MRI and I wanted to climb into the scanner and then have a look at my own brain. And they, they were very kind because they thought they knew I was really enthusiastic. So they printed my brain onto a T-shirt for me. Not not the real brain, obviously, because that would be bad. But they printed a picture of my brain. So no, I'm, I'm one of a small number of people in, in the grand scheme of things. There are very few people in the population really who've actually had the chance to see when no one has ever seen inside their own brain. And it, it does kind of make you feel weird when you look at the pictures and you think that's that's inside my head that's my brain in there it's really really weird it's a funny sensation it makes you kind of kind of have pins and needles thinking wow that's that's me <laughs> yeah and it's extraordinary and think, yeah it, it certainly is now what makes i know it's a weird question i think um if if i get the gist of of what was asked how are you so intelligent and how do you know everything well remember that intelligence is different than just having a good memory and i do have a good yes. memory and yes. and i am very geeky and i have spent a lot of time reading and learning yeah. things and I, I have a memory like a sponge if you give me a cryptic crossword i'm not as good at, at doing that i'm getting better i'm trying to learn to be better <laughs> at cryptic crosswords but there are different types of intelligence there are some people yes. i mean i find them awesome some of these mathematical people who can look at numbers and they see the relationships and they just jump out at them a bit like when you look at those funny 3d pictures and you have to sort of squint your eyes and then the image yep. emerges there are people i know like that that can look at a, a maths problem or they look at a pattern and they immediately see it and they understand how to convert that into something that that is viscerally an experience for them so they understand how to get to grips with it and they can mm -hmm. sniff out people who are pulling the wool 
uh, with figures and statistics straight away. And that's amazing. And that's one type of intelligence. There are other people who can look at patterns and sequences and shapes and they can immediately spot things in there or they can see what someone's getting at. There are other people that will read the cryptic clues in the crossword and they immediately jump to they go, I know what the answer to that is. And then there are people who have an amazing general knowledge. I mean, these are all different types of intelligence and everyone on Earth is different and all people have different yep. skills. And, and I happen to have the combination of a good memory and, and a thirst for knowledge and, and a motivation. Mm. And if you couple all those things together with a really good education at the start, which I'm very lucky, yes. I've had an amazing education and I'll be so grateful to the people who've taught me through my life because they taught yes. me really, really well. It changes your life. Education's everything. That is so, so true. And what about people with emotional intelligence? Well, I'm, I'm uh, very much in, in, in awe of my wife because she's a fantastic doctor. She's a GP and she gets mm. all these letters from patients who think she's the most amazing doctor. And this is because she's incredibly empathic and she can very mm. quickly put herself in other people's shoes and get on their wavelength. And this too is an amazing skill. The ability to bond with someone emotionally in this way and, and understand where they're coming from and put yourself on their level at, straight away. Mm. Now, mm. women traditionally are much better at this than men are. And, and, and she is definitely a lot better than I am. I, I'm very kind of cold, sterile kind of here's the information, here's the facts. But what's the problem? Whereas she, she is, is much, <laughs> much more in tune with people's feelings. And you need both, obviously. But some That's people true. are very, very good at that. And, and, uh, and some people are less good at that. You're listening to The Naked Scientist on 567 Medium Wave Cape. Took your calls on 021-446-0567 and WhatsApp on 072-567-1567. Barris in Bloberg, good morning. Good morning, gents. Chris, uh, just a question. Um, winter time, the sun doesn't seem to have any punch. Now, I'm curious to know, is the, if I could measure the light intensity in peak summer and peak winter, is it exactly the same? Because I'd imagine the inverse square rule applies here. Uh, hi, Barris. You've got to remember that when you are in summertime, the angle of the Earth is tilted towards the sun. And when it's wintertime, the Earth is tilted away. So therefore, the sun does not climb as high in the sky in winter as it does in summer. And so therefore, the light is coming through more atmosphere when the sun comes to us in winter than in summer. So there's more scattering and dissipation of the energy. So the intensity will be lower and also the daytime is shorter. And as a result of shorter daytimes, you're going to get less overall energy input. So the environment is colder and therefore you're going to see less energy being radiated at you back from the ground as well. So in, in some respects, the intensity of the light is going to change for two reasons. One, you're going to be hit by more dissipated energy from the sky and you're also going to be hit by less energy radiating back up off the off the colder ground. Okay, Barris, thanks for the question. Now, Bob in Hart Bay has got a question about infrared light. I'm sure we had a question on this yesterday, but let's take a listen to uh, the actual question that Bob has. Hi there, Bob. Good morning. Hello, Keno. Yes, I, I haven't heard the answer for this one, but does sure. an infrared light have any effect on the virus? I've got a handheld infrared massage machine and if I wave that over the groceries, does it have any effect? Uh, hi, Bob. The answer is probably not uh, because infrared is merely heat. And if the light is not sufficient to raise the temperature beyond the point at which the virus would fall apart and to be sure that a virus has been destroyed, we would probably want the temperature to be more than about 60 degrees C. And I doubt your infrared heat source is going to do that because it would be painful if you put it near your skin. Uh, so it's unlikely. The wavelengths of light that can damage the virus, we've mentioned previously, 
on this show, actually, uh, the ultraviolet regime and specifically UVC. And scientists in America have started working on what's called far UVC, which is the sweet spot in the ultraviolet regime where the ultraviolet energy is sufficient to destroy the genetic information of uh, viruses, including the new coronavirus, but is insufficient to the penetrating to get through skin. So we think it's a good a good combination of safety, but toxicity for the virus. So people are talking about using this as in, in public spaces from light sources to blitz the virus particles in the air so that we have a cleaner air to breathe. It's on the far side of the spectrum, is it? Yes. So light forms a continuum. What we call light is electromagnetic energy. And this ranges from very long waves that have a big wavelength and things like Mm. radio waves. And as you shrink the the distance between the peaks of the waves, they get shorter and shorter you into microwaves. And then you get to the uh, infrared and that we feel as warmth, but we can't see. Then you get to the red end of the spectrum. We can see that light because our eyes are sensitive to light of that wavelength. And then it goes red through to the blues and purples and and the wavelengths are getting shorter and shorter. And then you get UV, ultraviolet. We can't see that. Some animals can see that. Bees, for example, can see the sun on a cloudy day because ultraviolet comes straight through the clouds. So Mm. insects like bees can see that and that's how they navigate. And then beyond the UV, you're into X-rays and then gamma rays. Well, there you go. Dr. Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist. Always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Looking forward to next Friday. I am too, Kino. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care and see you soon. See you soon.